When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Album for the Day with John E. and Jay. As we fire up the second year of Album for the Day, we do a little pivot. Mm. We've been doing a different album every day uh, for a year. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's 360 <laughs> something of those for you if you want to go check those out. Yeah. Um, we're going to be focusing still on albums. But in the context of the people who are on the albums and the contributors who made the albums what they were. And I think that's really what breaks down the whole music scene of what we're doing here. It's just it really gets the backstory of who the people are creating the music that we've grown to love over the years. We found a bunch of new people that we get to talk about, which is exciting for me. People I didn't even know who were on some of the most fantastic albums ever played. And you know the music, and you've heard it, and... Now it's time to get to know the artists. Yeah. As we continue with the people behind the albums now, Mm. album for the day today celebrates an all-time goat. Yeah. I mean, this guy's got his own goat farm. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Quarter Spring. Mm Mm-hmm. But Steve Winwood, Mm -hmm. the man who can do anything... Yeah, he uh, plays uh, literally everything. Um, his first solo album. We'll, 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 we're going to go backwards in a second. His first solo album. He literally played every single instrument on the album. And the second one. And the second one. So the guy is a multi-talented, one of the best singers you're ever going to hear. Like ever he sounds like in fact in 2008 rolling stone ranked winwood number 33 in its 100 greatest singers of all time of all time of yo all time. that's he, it's it's amazing but he, a, i mean that's he, an elite group he modeled his singing after ray charles mm-hmm. and you can 100% hear it in Absolutely. everything he does and I mean, if you're going to pick somebody to emulate, yeah, right. Go after one of the great, the greatest of all time. Absolutely. Um, but just to to go back to like you know, the dude's born like 1948 uh, in England, and we won't hold that against him. We definitely won't. I mean, but but so so 48. All right, so. The first album or the first band he's in, he's like twelve years old, playing bars. He's so young that they literally have to turn him around because he just because looks he that looks, underage. He looks, it's illegal for him to play in clubs, so they literally turn him around. And so his he, dad and his older brother were in that band too. Mm-hmm. And his older brother was five years older, so he yeah. was thirteen, and Muff was eighteen. Yeah. And uh, you may remember Muff Winwood, who produced uh, Dire Straits. Yeah, yeah. And so they play these clubs, whatever. Then they then they're about to come out with their first album, or no? He joins. Sorry, he, I was talking about a different band. He he joins Spencer Davis Group at fourteen years old, and 
basically if you've if you've listened to their albums it's amazing the first album was in 1965 so this is like the year after the beatles explode onto the scene and these records this record it's literally called uh the spencer davis group their first day lp it's a banger still stands up today it's a banger and it's like the dude's 14 15 years old crushing it and then he decided that that was a little too narrow and that he was dissatisfied with uh his lack of being able to be creative so he uh left spencer davis group and honestly do you know who spencer davis is no one does no one does <laughs> dude oh wait 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 hold on hold on we got to go back again we got to go back again we forgot about while he was still playing with his dad who he played with in england mm. as the touring bands mm. so people would come through and he was playing this hammond c3 guitar basically so all these blues legends and we're talking when i'm saying legend i mean muddy waters john lee hooker Howlin' Wolf, B.B. King, Chuck Bo, Berry, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, and he and he's like in a pickup band at fourteen to fifteen years old, playing with these guys. Like, it's just like, what can you? It's it's just so hard for me to believe. Well, we're gonna revisit. We're gonna revisit this concept that he got started so early. Um, I've got a great quote from him later. That's way more relevant at that yeah. time. But anyway, so you were saying Spencer, he just went through Spencer Davis and then <laughs> he, uh, decided that, um, he was going to mess around with Eric Clapton. Look at what? I, like, it's like, what? You're going to what? With who? Yeah. I mean, it's so crazy. That, that wall over there has Clapton as God spray painted on it. Yeah. So He's anyway, eight, they, they eight. did an album called Powerhouse. Yeah. And um, he met following that because they just did one album and quit. Um, then Steve met Jim Capaldi, who he would pretty much continue for for yeah for a very long time yeah yeah um you can you can hear their match on how they work well together it's it's one of those classic uh partnerships and dave mason and uh chris wood and um they were jamming together at a place called the elbow room i love that name isn't that fantastic yeah who says the brits are not funny that's clever dude it's clever you're right they're very good at being clever yeah. It's missing the wit a lot, And this has got the <laughs> I mean, wit. this is like the home of Monty Python, you know, like, yeah, it's I mean, wit, it, it's clever. It's I mean, very if, clever. If that's a recording studio, I feel like that's where Wu-Tang Clan was <laughs> recording. <laughs> yep. Almost got me there. That was, was a good making, one. In the middle of taking a drink there. Oh. Yeah, almost got me. Oh, man, that was that was in the moment. Oh, boy. That's staying in. <laughs> and uh, don't you write that down. And, um, yeah, so that just turned into traffic. Yeah. And um, that's kind of just basically Steve uh, would write the music and Jim Capaldi would write the lyrics. Yeah. And that particular... Um, method of songwriting well think about elton john bernie Taupin, that kind of thing you know it works yeah no it works and it works for them exactly and 
so that just really was super successful. Um, well, but then, then after he got traffic, tired of that. yeah. Well, I wouldn't say tired. I think that he has so much creativity that it was like, and he's literally what eighteen, nineteen at this point. Nineteen. And it's like, okay, um, how about I go back to Eric Clapton for a second and form the probably one of the best supergroups of all time in Blind Faith. Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, and Rick Gretsch, and Steve Winwood. Like, they only did one album, but do yourself a favor and go check that album out. So, I couldn't help myself. I, I dug, like, two digs into the rabbit hole and, mm-hmm. and uh, figured out why Blind Faith quit. I don't know if you know that story. Um, they were out there playing, and everybody wanted to hear Cream. Mm. And a couple of times they gave it to him and he literally compared it to like heroin. He Mm. was like, once you've given it to him, you can't not. Mm. And so rather than, you know, he and Clapton and, you know, all, all of them. Yeah. It's Clapton ginger picker. Okay. That's enough. And moving forward, they just decided to give up. And, it's you know, of, there were a lot of great things that happened because Blind Faith did not continue. Yeah. I mean, I, in in a weird way, it might be best because he went back to, well, they did Ginger Baker's Air Force as well as going back to traffic. And both of those, the Ginger Baker's Air Force, I freaking love it. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. so good. So you got to think about stuff like... <clears throat> I don't know, like, if Derek and the Dominoes had continued putting records out, like, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, it, let's say it, if Cream would have kept putting out records. I mean, there's so many of these little one-off kind of things, you know, that that are, that are so amazing and brilliant, but they're flashes of light. You know, and that's that. That's the cool thing about this, and one of the great things about Steve Winwood, he has these flashes all over the place, really, and really bright ones, huge, like huge lights all over the place. But he never did a solo album until he was literally thirty years into his career. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, that's just that's really cool to me. I love. I, I think it's really cool. The fact that he valued collaboration yes. to the degree, I think that's what but you're But think about who he's collaborating with. Well, exactly. It's like... I mean... These are the who's who of British rock and roll. He's really and we, like modest and humble about it, yeah. too. We, and we didn't even talk about the, the one-off session work that he did. We're talking... He was in the studio with the Jimi Hendrix experience for Electric Ladyland in 1968. I mean... Yeah, he, didn't he play the he played the organ on that, right? Yeah. Yeah. He he was he did BB uh, King in London in 1971. He did Jimi Hendrix The Cry of Love in 1971. He did Howlin Wolf the London Howlin Wolf sessions in 1971. Dude, the London Howlin Wolf it's sessions. So good. Bill oh. Wyman, Charlie Watts, Eric Clapton, and I had to look up Hubert someone. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And uh, realized exactly why he belongs in the Howlin' Wolf sessions, but um, it's Hubert. Someone is uh, quite the accomplished fellow. Yes, and that album is one of my favorite albums that I own. It's amazing. 
I love Howlin' Wolf. And it's so weird to think that Steve Winwood's kind of like, uh, like his high pitched Ray Charles kind of sound, but his piano. It's just like it just go. It's 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 perfect. Yeah, I wasn't. I'm just be straight up. I wasn't familiar with that until today. Yeah. And, uh, I think I listened to it twice. Yeah. And he also played in one of my all time favorites. Robert Palmer's Sneakin' Sally Through the Alley Absolutely. in 1974. He played on Toots and the Maytals, Reggae Got Soul. And if you're not if you're not catching the uh, the bait that I'm throwing out, think about how many different genres this dude is playing. He could play with anybody, anyhow, any way. I mean, it's just Lou Reed. Yeah, it's uh, he's all over the place, and that's that's just the session work he was doing. And I mean, he didn't come out with his. Uh, his first solo Let's get album into until weird 19- contemporary stuff though, where yeah. you know his solo career was extremely relevant. Yeah, and he's doing stuff with David Gilmour, Christine McVie, Billy Joel, Jimmy Buffett, Jimmy Buffett, my Barracuda, Phil Collins, mm-hmm. and. Um, Back to Clapton slash. I mean, he he worked with. He was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so it wasn't a big whatever. But Miranda Lambert, you know, Government Mule, like. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So, interestingly enough, um, Steve found a writing partner away from Jim Capaldi. and uh, And he found Will Jennings. And Will Jennings is an American songwriter. Mm -hmm. And in addition to writing with him on pretty much his whole solo career, Mm -hmm. um, he also wrote the lyrics for Tears in Heaven. Oh, wow. He also wrote the lyrics for My Heart Will Go On. Interesting. I did not know that. So Wilbur H. Jennings uh, from Kilgore, Texas. Well, now, Wilbur. <laughs> I knew it was coming, man. I knew it was going to happen. Yeah, so Steve- he wrote While You See a Chance, Higher Love, Back in the High Life Again, Finer Things, Valerie, Roll With It. The hits, basically. He just, that was mm-hmm. the who's who. That was, that Dion was, that Warwick, was- Barry Manilow. I thought Barry Manilow wrote the songs. Mm, clearly not all of them. I guess not. Yeah, so Steve Winwood in 1977 came out with Steve Winwood, um, self-titled solo. But I really don't feel like his solo career took off until Arc of a Diver. In fact, he really, he really just uh, kind of pitches that first album. Like it's kind of like Elton John's first one. I was about or to Billy Joel's first one where they were just dissatisfied. Exactly. And in fact, he said he was kind of rushed into it. Yeah, and they wanted something. And, and he so was just he like, gave here it to it is. Him. I mean, if you look, it's like 37 minutes or something. But Ark of a Diver, um, the cover is one of my favorite album covers of all time. It's a painting by Tony Wright, and it almost looks like a Matisse painting. It's so, 
it's it's just it's brilliant. It's and very deliberate. It's very it's simplistic. Is that a good word for that? Yes, it is. It's very simplistic. It's very deliberate. Um, there is an alternate to the cover that they have, and it's just the colors are a little different. It's more of a sunset or sunrise, possibly. Hmm. Um, when I saw it, I thought because it's a purpley kind of thing. It's because I mean it's Ark of a Diver. It's like a very Matisse type figure jumping through kind of an arced, obviously, going into the water with seaweed kind of at the bottom. It's a beautiful, beautiful cover. Um, I, I, and it's one of those things where if I was in a store and I saw that album, no matter, no matter what, I would pick that album up to look at the artwork on that cover. And it's just like... It's very compelling. It's so cool. Um, and then... You know, like the music on Ark of a Diver is, I mean, you know, it's, I think it's hard to say. I always hate to say like, this is the best work that he did. I think it might be my favorite of his albums, of his solo albums. It's, his new stuff with the Valerie and all that, it was kind of like, I felt this more. I didn't feel those albums as much as this one. But that's but that's just me, and that's what opinions are. You so know? let me say this: um, Steve Winwood signed a contract with Island Records, and uh, old Chris Blackwell, and we have discussed him a number of times. Mm, mm-hmm. So Steve Winwood uh, was on Island Records and managed by Chris Blackwell. No conflict of interest there. Um, so anyway, he determined at the end of his island thing that he was just going to make a total break. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that he got a little bogged down, and because you know the stories are the stories are many, and the victims are as well mm-hmm. um, of people that were young and signed what they needed to sign, which was pretty much their right to anything at yeah. all yeah and uh you got a right to go and make me money yeah that's thanks wink wink and um you know he he had a transition there and um you know signed with virgin and that kind of uh turned the corner for him where he was able to really manifest um his financial um, value mm-hmm. uh, that he always knew he had, which it, which and continues today, I might add. Absolutely, and but it was difficult, you know, and because he didn't know how to be a solo artist, he didn't know how to, you know manage himself either. But he knew how to play. I think that's why yeah. Arc of a Diver. I think you just it was like. I didn't realize that Ark of a Diver is also the album where he played pretty much everything on it. He played and, everything. And, and it's that thing to me. I think you just, without realizing it, explained to me why I love that album so much. Is because it's very uh, personal. It's very him. It's Organic. All, it's authentic. very him. And he's the one kind of harmonizing with himself on all the instruments and the singing. So, yeah. And, you know, he was in a different place. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when he first... So when he actually got back together with Traffic, like um, the uh, 
low spark mm-hmm. era. Um, he ended up getting appendicitis and his appendix ruptured Ooh. and um, he actually got peritonitis, uh, which is where it ruptures inside of you yeah. and starts to um, affect other things mm. inside of you. Yuck. So essentially, like they didn't catch it in time and it was super serious when they did. Mm. And uh, he ended up coming back from that in 73 um, the first thing that he felt good enough to do was do the Rainbow Theater with Eric Clapton. So their friendship is long and storied. And yeah. they've, they've. It's so funny. He's like 25 when yeah. this happens. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. It's no, so he, actually, he actually. He so actually. Um, he had a great comment about that that I found because I was like, man, that's nuts. So he said, that was the first time I had anything like that happen, and it had a big effect. I was about 25 years old, which often is a period where people go through a change. I did what they tell me rock stars do now. I started exercising, eating the right food. I stopped just living for tomorrow. From then on, through the 70s, I came to terms with the real world a bit more. You know, traveling with a rock band, there's a certain unreality about it. You don't know where you are, what day of the week it is. People book your plane flights, pack your bag, do your laundry. If you do that from when you're 15, it's very unreal. And that, yeah, that's, that is that's it right there, man. Yeah, and that's that was his life. So, period. like, for 10 years, you know, he doesn't have to worry about anything. And for then all of a sudden... From 15 yeah. to 25. I yeah. mean, like, some pretty impressionable pretty years. pivotal 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Man. So I, I think that he, um, that was a really challenging, um, time for him and he totally did like a big pivot and, you know, just a few years later, he's having to put together a solo career and, um, obviously got to start reflecting inside a little bit more. Yeah. And clearly, clearly that did really well for him too, because as soon as that happens, it's like bang the eighties and all, you know, the sound, his sound changed a little bit too. And, and it was, and he did that on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, he embraced, um, synthesized instrumentation. Um, and I, I think it's funny because he got a lot of backlash in the eighties. Um, yeah, he made a lot of money, you know, from everything from back in the high life again and roll with it, both enormous hits, millions and millions of copies. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, like he's got this record company business that he's doing at this point. And like, I want to be done, start a new chapter. And so when you think about that, and those two albums and how those are really like the commercial peak of the solo career. Definitely. It's interesting that they're actually on two different record companies hmm. and so much has happened mm-hmm. and you can hear lyrically it's in there. It's in both of them really. Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely recommend checking some Steve Winwood out. Um, this guy, he's had a career like no one else and Probably one of the most lengthy careers of anyone. I mean, his contemporary stuff, bro. His contemporary yeah. stuff is impressive. Like, I mean, he's do, he just did a song with Santana. Yep. Um, he put out, and we actually considered this when we were doing a month of live albums. 
but he put out a uh, best of live, mm-hmm. and it In was actually from his personal archives of all of his stuff. And they're not necessarily all like labeled or anything, but mm-hmm. like it's from his stuff, and he picked what he thinks sounds the greatest. That's cool. And I can't think of another live album, really, that's quite like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, uh, it's definitely, we're going to, we're going to put up a couple of, a uh, couple of our favorite kind of albums to, to go along with this so that you guys can kind of see what we're, what we're, what we're cooking with. But, uh, yeah, uh, album for the day's, uh, artist this week, freaking Steve freaking Winwood. Uh, masterclass of how to have a lengthy career um, and be one badass. Uh, he multi instrumentalist uh, singer that just won't stop. The dude's uh, top of the game. He's a humble, good guy. Yeah, man. and he's a good dude. It's not that he's just some you yeah. know asshole. You know, <laughs> he's I, a good guy. We keep saying it's this, rare. Like you it's wouldn't rare. get the calls if you were a jerk. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Well, uh, anyways, uh, be sure to follow us uh, and uh, subscribe wherever you listen to us. And if you have any requests for musicians that you'd like to hear about, uh, shoot us an email to album for album the number four the day at gmail dot com. Follow us on Twitter at album the number four the day. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening, and we will see you when we see you. Valerie, call on me. I'm the same boy I used to be. (laughs) After starting the podcast, you can search for the album, use the three dots, and hit add to queue. Now the album will start as soon as the episode ends. Woohoo!